If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 8, or excuse me, Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. And uh, you may have noticed that today on the back of the bulletin, where we always have sermon notes, that we've also included the New American Standard version of these verses. Uh, just one of those times when the New American Standard was uh, the better translation to the degree that I thought, I'm just going to preach from the NASB today. So ESV is a fantastic translation. No translation is, uh, is definitively the best. Uh, but today we're going to look at the New American Standard Version. Um, and let me read you Romans 8, 5 through 8 from there. It says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is talking about two different categories of people, with two different categories of being that lead to two different mindsets that then play out in two different courses of life. Kind of makes me think of two different baseball teams. This afternoon, the New York Mets will be playing the Washington Nationals. And just as with every baseball game, I will probably not watch it, despite calling myself a Mets fan. But we know that what happens when those guys go out there, the, the guys with the red and white jerseys are going to have the goal of making the Washington Nationals win the game. And the guys who go out there with the blue and orange jerseys are going to have the goal of making the New York Mets win the game. Now, why is that? Well, it's because one group of guys are the Mets. The other group of guys are the Nationals. And because of that, the guys on the Mets have the mindset of, I want the Mets to win. And because they have that mindset, then they go out there and carry out actions that are in line with that status and that thinking, and, and they carry it out into action. So you have there uh, two different teams with two goals in their minds, with actions that are working toward achieving those goals. And what you have here in the Scripture is very similar to that. You have, back in the end of verse 4, where we were last week, uh, that, uh, that, that those who are saved, I'll just summarize what came before that, is saying saved, those who have had their sin condemned in the flesh, those who have had the righteousness of, of Christ applied to them to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, those who are God's people, who are forgiven, who are going to heaven, who have been born again, it says that they do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those are actions. And these verses are going to clarify where, where does that way of life come from? Where does that orientation of walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh, where does it come from? Well, it comes from a way of thinking. And where does that way of thinking come from? Well, it comes from a way of being. And so he's getting down here to the idea that there is a division that God has created in humanity between those who are of the flesh and those who are of the Spirit. 
Every single one of us is born into Adam, born in the flesh, born in our natural state of sinfulness. But God can make us born again by the power of the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, to see who Jesus Christ is, to repent and believe in him, as God would give us that grace to do that. And so there are these two ways of being that are, that are either from the world or from God, being in the flesh or being in the spirit, that lead to two different mindsets that then lead to the actions that flow out of that. But at the end of verse 4, you could be a little bit terrified, even as a believer. Let me read you again what it said at the end of verse 4, right before we got there. It said, the righteous requirement of the law, meaning being right before God, it is fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, why did I say you could be a little bit terrified? Because every believer, when we are thinking clearly, we, we can see honestly in our lives, wait a second, every day in my life, there's something that goes not according to the Spirit, but according to the flesh, I daily find myself having to repent of sin. Jesus knew this. That's why he built it into the Lord's Prayer, that we have to ask for forgiveness all the time. That's why he built it into the continual pattern in life of the church that we keep on taking the Lord's Supper, because it's showing us you are still in need of cleansing from your sin, believer, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. And so we could get terrified and say, "Uh uh-oh, I did something according to the flesh, I must be a lost person. I must not be somebody who has been, uh, who's had the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled for me. I must not be somebody who had sin condemned in the flesh of Jesus for me. Well, I love the way that John Calvin put this. Calvin said that the last phrase, the second half of verse 4, he said, might seem to cut off from all mortals the hope of salvation. For who in this world can be found with such an angelic purity so as to be wholly freed from the flesh. But Paul's object now, getting to verse 5, is to afford good hope to the faithful. Though they are bound to their flesh, only let them not give loose reins to its lusts, but give themselves up to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So what you see here is, is, is in line with the whole theme of chapters 5 through 8, assurance of salvation, where he says, yes, you come to faith in Christ, and it is a different trajectory of life a different trajectory of life. And he's clarifying. I'm not talking about, did you slip up? That means you're lost. I'm talking about where is your heart oriented toward? This is something that God fundamentally changes in a person that he causes to be born again, that he brings into his kingdom by faith, where we would no longer be defined by and of the mindset of the world and the flesh and the things of this life, but now to be defined by the Spirit and Christ and the things of heaven. That's what he's getting at here. So he starts out and tells us about two ways of being with two ways of thinking. Verse 5, those who are according to the flesh, and that's the right translation, who are, not who live, not who walk, not a choice that you make, I will do this, not that, but an identity, a being, those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are, according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There is, on the one hand, there's natural people with fleshly mindsets. 
Now, keep in mind, when we say natural people, we're not saying, oh, those other people out there who were born into those other families in those other places with those weird customs and, and those people over there, they, they are the natural fleshly people. Sure am glad I was born on this side of the river or whatever it is, right? The Hudson, I don't know. Um, well, we were all born this way, right? If, if, if you are going about life and saying, I'm on the right track, I was born this way. No, the way you were born was the wrong way. You were born the wrong way. It is the wrong track, but it's natural. It's normal. Every single one of us knows it because we were born into it. The way that we were born in our being, as he explained back in chapter 5, is born into Adam, born into death, born with a sinful nature that is guilty of sin already, with the nature that is inclined to evil, that will, by its choice, act in evil ways against God, born in sin. That's the natural way of being, natural people with fleshly mindsets. It's not some abnormally sinful way of being. It's not just the subset of people that you think, well, those are the especially sinful people. This is normal life. You're very nice neighbors. This is standard, the standard software of the human heart. It's the way that every single one of us started out when we came into the world And it's the way that God looked and saw that humanity was back in Genesis 6-5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, does that mean that every action that came out was as evil as it could possibly be? No. But even the actions where some evil was restrained in some way was flowing out of evil hearts that had evil intentions that were set on worldly things. What this is talking about, this mindset of the flesh, those who are according to the flesh setting their minds on the things of the flesh, it's the standard value system of humanity. It is the standard thing where you're going to get the standard advice from the standard experts in the world about how you should live and how you should set your goals and what should be your aims in life. It's just the normal stuff. To say, here's what to value is worldly things. Things like wealth, things like power, things like comfort, things like pleasure. Here's what it says in 1 John 2.15. Rick preached on this a couple months ago when I was away on vacation. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. What's the desires of the flesh? Well, that's that, that wanting to satisfy your natural desires that your body has. What, what is the desires of the eyes? Well, it's the things that you can look around and say, I want that. The stuff that you could collect, whether it's a bank account or something else the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions. You know, wanting to make yourself more proud of yourself. These are the things that the world is all about, and it says in 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the same distinction that he's talking about in verse 5. 
Those according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You see, what he's saying here is when God brings someone to salvation in Jesus Christ, they're not like just the same as they were before, but now with forgiven stamped on their heads. He changes our hearts. He takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh it's not like it's sinless all the time or something, but it it has new affections, new ultimate desires that are not focused on fleshly, worldly things, even the good goals that worldly people have, but now focused on how can I use the things of this world to gain more of Christ, to honor Christ, to set my mind on heaven, Instead of saying, approaching the Christian faith by saying, well, if I embrace Jesus, maybe it will order my life such that I can get more out of this world. Now that, that's still the mindset on the flesh. That's death. But when somebody has come to Christ, the, the mindset changes to say not, how can I get Jesus to, to fix the pain in my body, but how can I use the momentary pain in my body for the glory of Christ, even as I ask him to remove it if it be his will. Things like that. No longer a mindset on the flesh. By the way, this is, I didn't have this in my sermon notes, but it's kind of obvious that when you turn on most supposedly Christian TV stations and see, I won't say all, but most supposedly Christian preachers, what they're preaching about there is the flesh. They're preaching about how can you be healthier, how can you be wealthier. They are encouraging people to have minds set on the flesh, to use God as a way to get worldly things. When this says, that's death, it's death. We, we who have been born of the Spirit, it says, are in a different mindset. Now, I've got to ask, what about people with good morals? What about lost people? And by lost, I mean not believing the gospel. What about those who don't have faith in Jesus, and yet they live a moral life? Is that saying, well, they must be be saved by the Spirit because, look, they're, they're living a moral life. No, what this is saying is the opposite of that. It's saying even if the actions would come out in a way that looks pretty nice on the outside that there can be an absolutely fleshly mindset, fleshly reasons for that in the heart. If they don't believe the gospel, they are fleshly minded. It doesn't say here that they act horribly on the outside. It says that they're oriented toward worldly things on the inside. Remember the Pharisees? Remember those guys? They had their hearts on worldly things. And they did it in a way that looked really, really put together on the outside and really looked spiritual on the outside. But their hearts were on worldly things just as much as the hearts of the tax collectors and the flagrant sinners that they denounced. They had their hearts set on worldly things on the inward mind. So it, but they just did it in a way where their flesh looked cleaned up on the outside. Guys, sometimes even people who profess faith in Jesus, don't have faith in Jesus, and they're still fleshly minded. And they would use Christ as a way to gain worldly things instead of using the worldly things as a way to serve and to honor Christ. Uh, guys, don't, don't use Jesus as a way to get wealth. 
Don't use Jesus as a way to get health. Don't use Jesus as a way to achieve political goals. I got to clarify, you can use politics as a way to serve and honor Jesus, but do not use Jesus as a way to serve and honor your political goals. That's worldly stuff, mindset on the flesh. Do you know it's even possible to be a pastor and to be unbelieving and fleshly minded? It, it, there, there are churches all over the world that have pastors who are not believers in Jesus Christ. I saw a survey of, of one particular mainline denomination several years ago where they had done a survey of the pastors within that denomination. And I want to say it was only something like 30% who actually claimed to have been born again. It's, it's bizarre what can happen. But guys, the, the New Testament warns us over and over and over about false teachers who are fleshly minded, who have their minds set on the flesh, even though by some means they have risen to a position of authority within a church. It calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. It says that they'd use those positions to serve worldly outcomes instead of to serve God. Sometimes that comes out in terms of, of trying to orient the ministry of the church around numbers, as though the ultimate goal of the church were to increase the numbers, whether that's attendance, whether that's budget giving, whether that's the square footage of the building, rather than using the attendance and the budget giving and the square footage of the building to see how can we grow in faithfulness to Christ. You see, it's just an opposite way of thinking. But here's, here's something that it says in 2 Peter 2, just as an example of these warnings in the Scriptures. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is just to say that there are those, and this is the standard way of humanity, and it can creep into all kinds of places, even where people are cleaned up on the outside. This is the standard way that we were born, being according to the flesh, those who are according to the flesh, setting their minds on the things of the flesh. But on the other hand, we said there's two ways of being with two ways of thinking, Here's the second way of being with the second way of thinking is regenerated people, not natural, but going, having gone from the natural state to the new birth, regenerated people with spiritual mindsets. Here's what it says in the second half of verse 5, but those who are according to the Spirit, that means something has been changed about who they are. Those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit, meaning they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What is the Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God who has come to indwell believers after, after Christ has risen from the dead. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God with us. He is God who wakes up our hearts, God who would make us born again through the preaching of the gospel by giving us the gift of faith and repentance along with that faith, this is the Holy Spirit, the one who new births people. And that Holy Spirit, who, who, he changes our hearts so that when somebody's been born again, their hope is now in Christ. 
Their hope is not in the, in the things of this world and the flesh. Their hope is now in the things of the world to come and in the spirit. Their hope is in an otherworldly kingdom. A way to put it is that when we come to Jesus, God changed the mindset of what we treasure. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God changes the mindset of those he saves so that we no longer treasure the things of this world, but we now treasure Christ and his kingdom, the things that are eternal. Jesus loved to talk about this in his earthly ministry. Here's one way that he put it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You hear that last thing? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? Think about what he just said. This is the heart. This is the mindset. The heart set on the flesh versus the heart that is set on the things of the Spirit. It has to be spiritually given. But when he's done it, he changes our, our treasure. By the way, believers, I know that sometimes as a believer, the eyes of your heart can wander away from Christ. Take them back to Christ. Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. So point your eye toward the bright thing. Point your attention. Mark off that time in your day to be in the Word and in prayer. Mark off that whole day in seven, that, that Lord's day to be with God's people in fellowship and in worship. Do those things to, to put your eye's mind, or your mind's eye, excuse me, on, onto Christ and, and treasure Him. Here's another way that Jesus put it in, in Matthew 13. Verse 44, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So you hear that word treasure again? It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus' point is, when you come to the kingdom, when you come to Jesus, you come to understand the things in this world are not worth anything compared to Christ and his kingdom. He shifts your affections. He shifts the desires of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never desire any sin again or something, but it means that you'll see Jesus is the one worth treasuring. Jesus is the one worth having as my goal. Not a big bank account and and a lot of prestige in this world. No, Jesus is my goal. He, he, here's how it's put in Colossians 3. If, he, if then you have been raised with Christ, meaning... If you've been born again, if you've been given new life in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, hear that word minds again? Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or just one more, so 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, that's the fleshly, worldly things, but to the things that are unseen, that's the spiritual, heavenly things. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. They don't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So there's the distinction between those two ways of being with two ways of thinking. 
And verse 6 shows us that there's two outcomes of those two ways of being with those two ways of thinking that go along with them. It says, first of all, for the mind that is set on the flesh is death. And then secondly, the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. This reminds me a whole lot of Romans 6.23. Just a couple chapters ago, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That mind that is set on the flesh, he says, is death. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. That's death in eternity and death in the here and now and the death of all the things that that mind is set on. It is vanity. It's passing away. Romans 5.12 says that sin came into the world through one man. That's through Adam. It's the normal one that we're born into. Natural state of man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. He's saying, here is the natural course of human life. Is to live for what is in this world and to die and to suffer eternal punishment for our sins. That sin, having been demonstrated, especially in the heart that God sees so perfectly, to be treasuring the self and the things of the world instead of treasuring God and the things of his kingdom. So it's eternal death. The mindset on the flesh is headed to hell, is what he's saying. It's also death in the here and now. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 talks about that, that way of death that even we who who are now saved, that before we came to Christ, that that we lived in. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Guys, you may not have felt, or if you're not a believer in Christ, you may not feel like you were in a status of death right now. But that's just because you have a little bit still here that God is being merciful towards you with. You know, if, if we're talking about the things that are, that are here and now, I mean, believers even sometimes, it's the Psalm 73, sometimes are tempted to look at those who, who reject God and to be jealous of, of the good things that they would have in this life. Say, well, I, I'm serving God and I'm suffering and things are going rough. And I, I look at that person over there who, who has his mindset on the flesh and is in enmity with God, doesn't believe the gospel, and is living it up, and boy, he's got a beautiful family and a long life and all the stuff that he wanted, and why is that? Well, guys, here, here's, here's what we need to see is the end of things. We need to get the, the greater view. It says right here, the mindset of the flesh is death. Do you, do you know what's happening when those who do not love God experience all of those worldly blessings experience getting all of those fleshly things that they've set their minds on, they're having a last meal on death row. They are they're getting just a little bit of mercy from God before they plunge into eternal destruction. Now, we, we want to preach the gospel to them. We want to see them saved. We don't want them to plunge to eternal destruction. But, but that's what it's saying here. Don't be jealous of the death row prisoner's last meal. Don't look around and say, why can't I have the fleshly things that those other people have? Set your minds on the banqueting feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Christian, you have it all. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of this world. Do not love the things in the world. The things in the world are passing away along with its desires. Love and treasure Jesus. The strange thing is that the people who are, have that worldly mindset, they usually think that it's the mindset of life. You know, you get the saying, carpe diem, seize the day. It's feeling like we're living life, let's live it to the fullest, right? In the flesh, in death. Or YOLO, you only live once. Or having that bucket list, right? Death is coming, we better get all the fleshly stuff in that we can before death comes. All the worldly stuff we can. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Boy, that sure sounds like life, doesn't it? Sometimes even doing what look like good works on the outside as part of that bucket list. And Hebrews 9.14 says that if those supposedly good works, those religious actions are done apart from faith in Christ, that those are called dead works. Dead works because the mindset on the flesh is death. It's not gaining life for itself because it does something good and religious. Here's what Jesus says, a parable that he told in Luke 12, verse 16. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one, or so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Or another way that Jesus famously put it in Mark 8, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I'll just say it again really quickly. The mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. That's the second half of the verse. The mindset of the spirit, the spirit-given mindset the changed heart that the Holy Spirit gives that's now on a different team, oriented toward a different way of thinking with a different goal. The mindset on the Spirit, on the kingdom of heaven, rather than on the flesh and the things of this world, what's the outcome? What's the life? It's life and peace. Not death, but life and peace. That's what he said a couple of verses ago, Romans 8, 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life to those who come to him in faith, knowing that he died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day, trusting in him in repentance, he gives life. He said that there's all kinds of deception in this world, if we're following after the things of the world and the things of Satan, even if you don't believe Satan exists, well, what are you getting? You are getting death. He said that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to its fullest. More abundantly. That's John 10.10. 10. Jesus comes and gives life. Life in this world and life eternal. Life eternal. He gives life and he gives peace. 
That peace reminds you, might remind you of the Hebrew word shalom, right? It's that, that well-being. It's peace with God, first of all, that we have, according to Romans 5, 1, when we have faith in God, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. It's peace with man, where the, the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, has torn down the dividing wall of hostility and brings together all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds into one people of God at peace with each other. It's peace within our hearts, the peace that passes understanding. Peace with God, peace with man, peace in our hearts. These are the things that God is able to bring about for those with the mind of the Spirit or the mindset that the Spirit gives to treasure Christ rather than treasuring the things of this world. It includes, that, that peace includes the reality that, that you, believer, are not being prideful or presumptuous to have assurance of your salvation. You hear that? That's part of the peace. So many times believers are not at peace because they think, well, if I'm assured that I'm actually going to heaven, that must mean that I'm really prideful. No, the prideful thing is to say, maybe Jesus' blood hasn't done it enough for me. The prideful thing is to say, well, e even though I've come to faith in Christ and he's given me a new heart, it, 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 well, I, I messed up and so God is not going to save me now. That's prideful. But when we say, no, Jesus has paid it all. It's not me, it's Jesus who takes me to heaven. And we have assurance of our salvation. That's part of life and peace. And it's glorying in the cross of Christ and the power of Jesus. So he gives life and he gives peace. That peace would say, all the way from the beginning of Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All the way to the end of Romans 8, there is no separation, no condemnation, even if we make unforced errors on the playing field and sin. Even if we suffer, even if you go out on the field and you break your leg and you're out the rest of the game, there is no separation. You're not kicked off the team. All the way, there is life and peace for those who are in Christ. But I want to talk verses 7 and 8. This is what this passage focuses on. It talks about those who are of the mindset of the flesh, those who are of the mindset of the spirit, but it focuses on the flesh. And it wants to show us, Paul wants to show us, the Holy Spirit in these verses wants to show us the weakness, the depravity, the inability, the hostility of the natural human heart, of the mind that's set on the flesh. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 and think about man's natural state of depravity and inability. These verses especially are why the sermon today has the title that it does. Total depravity, not free will. Total depravity, not free will. Here's what it says, verses 7 and 8. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, what's that talking about? Well, it's saying, when he said this thing about being of the mindset of the flesh versus the being of the mindset of the spirit, 
you may be thinking, well, the, the, the natural point is that I ought to be of the Spirit instead of being of the flesh. Well, he's pretty much saying right here, you can't. You do not have the ability to do that. You, natural human being, do not have the ability to do that. And you, believer, even though it has now been done in you, you are not the one who had the ability to do it. You don't have it in your flesh to do it. You don't have it in your will to do it. You just don't want to, and you can't, and you won't. It says that there's this inability to obey the law of God, to subject itself, to be subject, to be submissive to God's law. Now, there are, I've mentioned the Pharisees before. There, there are some who, on the outside, look submissive to God's law, and yet they're, they're typically trying to look submissive with the last six commandments. And if you get down to the things of the heart, who is truly your God? You may be taking the Lord's name on the outside in a way that looks really holy, but when God looks at your heart, does it turn out that you're taking his name in vain? Things like that. God can look in and see, okay, you've tried to clean some things up here, but you are in hostility toward God. You are at enmity toward God in your heart. I mentioned the Pharisees earlier. I'm going to mention them again. I mean, you can have people who say that they love God, but you know what the Pharisees did when they met God face to face? God the Son, they killed him. They sent him to his death. They crucified the Lord of glory. You can have those who say that they love God, even whole religions that are set up to say that they love the God of the Old Testament, a couple different religions besides Christianity that claim that, and yet they show that they are hostile to God, that they hate God, because God has come in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ, and they do not believe him, do not accept him, they reject him. And so often, if you meet someone who says that they love God, but they just have their own thing. I just remember last week we were out at Keyport, and one gentleman, I've heard this a bunch of times before, but I, I, I said, can we pray for you about anything? Can, can we talk to you? And, and he said, no, 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 no. Me and God, we're like this. And just walked off. And I thought, you might actually believe that, sir. You might actually believe that you and God are like this. But if you don't believe the gospel, then whatever it is that you're like this with, you may have convinced yourself that that thing is God, but it is not God. You have all kinds of ideas of who God is in your head, but if you talk about the real God, you can see this. You talk to somebody about the real God of the Bible who says that they love God but rejects the gospel, they hate him. They hate him. I mean, you, talk about, you talk about God and say, okay, God demonstrates his glory in graciously forgiving and saving sinners. They'll say, hallelujah. And you say, well, the Bible says he also demonstrates his glory in justly condemning others to hell for eternity. And they say, no, I don't like that God. I hate that God. And the truth starts to come out. The real God, as he really presents himself in the real scriptures, they're at enmity with him. And, and, and if they met him in the flesh... They would do what the, what the Pharisees did. They would do what that crowd in Jerusalem did and cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Those who are in the flesh, they have a natural hostility to God and they have a natural lack of ability, I should say inability, 
to submit to God. This is what you see. So verse, verse 7, the end of verse 7, it says, not just, not just hostile to God, not just not obeying the law of God, especially from the heart. It says not even able, not even able to obey. And those who are in the flesh cannot, do not have the ability to please God. Guys, I'm just going to come very clearly and say here, this does not just apply to how well you can obey the Ten Commandments as far as submitting to the law. It says pleasing God in general. It says this ability to do it. This is saying that a person in their flesh does not have the ability to choose to be saved. No human being was born with any kind of ability to come to God in faith. If you think, if you have in your head that every person is born with the ability to either choose God or choose against the gospel, you are guilty of an ancient heresy called Pelagianism. It's not new, and even though you think you're very clever for thinking it up in your mind, or, or you just sort of absorbed it from somewhere out there, it is heresy. So don't be a heretic. And then there's others who've come along and said, okay, yeah, Pelagianism is bad, but we still want to preserve free will. So they've made up this other doctrine that they, they, they say, well, okay, what happens is when the gospel comes along, then God puts, just by the Spirit, kind of puts like a little bit of free will ability in there, just enough by God's power, not by the flesh, but by God's power, just enough that they can then choose this way or that way. Guys, that's nowhere in the Bible. There is nowhere in the Bible that would be like saying that Jesus came up to the, 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 the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, I give you the ability to choose whether or not you will come out. That's, it, it, the kind of stuff is just not there. What we have is those who absolutely will not choose God, and yet some of us have had our wills overpowered graciously by the saving will of God. All of us were born as kids who were running right out into the highway to get hit by a truck. And not by our wills, but by God's gracious will. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, he has jumped out there and grabbed you and saved you and shown you that's what you were headed toward. And now you're hugging him and you love him and you know that what he's done for you is by his grace. What we have here is the total inability... Not a doctrine of free will, but a doctrine of the bondage of the will, as Martin Luther put it. In bondage to the sin, in bondage to the flesh. Here's how it's put in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, which is how all of us were born, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here's what Jesus said in John 6:65, no one can come to the Father uh, or excuse me, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. It's an inability. It says no one can. And then he turns around and says if the Father grants it, they will come and they will have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. I'm paraphrasing and summarizing John 6 there. But those who are of the flesh, they cannot please God. They cannot come to God. They cannot be saved. Do you know where the free will leads in the flesh? It leads against God. Hostility to God. Disobedience to God. 
not pleasing God, not being saved, not choosing God. Is that because there's some sort of a physical field that's set up where it's like somebody just really, really wants to trust in Jesus, but it's like, no, you can't. No, it's, there is nothing natural as far as like stuff or some kind of a force that's saying this person can't come to Jesus. It, it, it is moral. It's not a natural inability. It's a moral inability. Think of it this way. I, I, I think I said this years ago, but if you take a vulture and put a vulture in a room where on one side you've got a pile of carrots and the other side you've got a pile of roadkill. Is the vulture able to eat the carrots? Well, in one sense, you could say yes because there's nothing stopping him from doing that. But in a real sense, no, obviously not. There is absolutely no chance that a vulture in that room is going to go pick the carrots over the roadkill because he's a vulture. If you take the natural person, me, before God made me born again by the power of the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, you in that situation, you right now, if you haven't come to faith in Christ yet, you put you in the room with the path of destruction or the path of Jesus, to come to faith in Jesus or to pursue the flesh and to be cast into hell forever, you do not have the ability to choose Jesus because you are in love with this world and the things of the world and the world and everything in it, including you, is passing away. God graciously can overcome that. I'm so glad. You know, you know how somebody, you know how a vulture ends up picking the carrots? They get supernaturally transformed into a rabbit. That's the only way it's going to happen. You know how you end up choosing Jesus? You get supernaturally transformed. Given a new heart. That's that's what the words mean back in Ezekiel. He will take out the heart of stone. He will give them a heart of flesh. That's what Jesus said when Jesus was saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. Being born is not something you can do. That is a passive verb. It's not you must birth yourself a second time. It's you must be born again by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit God must come and blow his powerful hurricane force wind to transform you, overcome the inability and the hostility and the evilness of your heart and to take you and to make you a new creature in Christ. And when he regenerates somebody, makes them born again, they see Jesus and they come to him in love and in faith and in repentance of their sins. If that hasn't happened in your life, pray to God that he would do that. And if he's calling you to himself, come to Jesus right now, knowing that when you came to Jesus, it's God who did that gracious work. And if you've got a man-glorifying view in your mind of how it is that you came to Jesus, like, well, I had my free will. I did it. Let this absolutely destroy your pride. And let it show you it is all 100% of grace. Because in myself, I had no ability, no desire, just a heart of hostility toward God, but God. 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. Ah, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that you uh, have overcome the fleshly mindset for us who, who are now in the Spirit, who've come to Christ. God, I pray for those who are, are still lost in these things. We don't want to look at them with pride because there, there's absolutely nothing that is a difference between those who are still in the flesh and us who are in the Spirit, except that you've given us grace. And so I pray that you give grace to more and more people through the preaching of the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit, to apply it to human hearts. God, I pray that you would just strike down our pride and, and glorify yourself in the way that we understand who we were and who we are in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would save people by the power of your Spirit, make them born again. And I pray that where our eyes would wander off toward fleshly, worldly things, that you would set us back to have the eyes of our hearts, the lamp of our hearts, pointed toward Jesus and his kingdom as our treasure. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.